Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, I'm a partner in Lewis Silkin's employment team. And in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspective on what the future of work holds. We know the pandemic has accelerated longer term societal, economic, technological trends, and we have a unique opportunity, a once in a generation challenge to rethink who, how, what and where we work. But although the pandemic has been a significant catalyst for immediate change, it's only one of the many drivers of change in the world of work. And joining me today is Harriet Molyneux to discuss some of the most critical future of work trends and the legacy of the pandemic. Harriet is Managing Director at HSM Advisory, a consultancy founded by Professor Linda Gratton, one of the leading experts on the future of work. Harriet is an advisor, a speaker and convener on the future of work, and she's also a responsible business advocate. So welcome, Harriet. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Lucy. I'm really delighted to be here. It is really great to have you. There's such a lot I want to talk to you about, but probably the best place to start is just asking you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the HSM advisory. Yes, well, thanks for that, Lucy. And as you say, I'm a Future of Work advisor, uh, a responsible business advocate, been uh, within HSM advisory for the best part of 10 years now. Uh, And HSM advisory is a research and advisory group focused wholly on the future of work. And we were founded by Linda Gratton. I really have two key focuses. Uh, The first is around building sustainable high performance in organisations. By sustainable, I'm actually not talking about your your air miles there. I'm talking about creating environments where people can show up their best, productive and hopefully happy selves over the long run. And I specialise in partnership models uh, where I think the need for sustainable high performance is particularly, particularly uh, strong. I'm also passionate about business being a force for good. And I do that through my work at HSM Advisory uh, in inclusion, diversity, sustainability, as well as uh, sitting on the board of directors of the Responsible Initiative for Justice. Uh, And that's an international nonprofit that works with large multinational organisations to champion fairness, equity uh, and effectiveness across systems of punishment and incarceration. And I think what's so interesting for me, Lucy, is when I started out my career, I had a real either or of the third sector, human rights, started working in West Africa or big business and uh, the sort of excitement of that. And I've seen over the past few years a real joining of the two. I think it's been a really exciting time with the the sustainability changes over the past three years, the social justice movement. At HSM, Lucy, we were founded 14 years ago by Professor Linda Gratton. We really started out as a research search business. So what does the future of work look like? But actually, as organisations stopped wanting just to know what it looked like and started saying, great, and what do I do about that right now? Because it's coming pretty close to us. Uh, we've moved into being an advisory company, helping organisations put sustainable high performance at the centre of everything they do. And that could be from the work we've done with uh, the Sage, Sage, the platform company, as they moved from a financial services uh, company to a tech company, all the work we did with Linklaters around work-life balance and flexibility. Thank you. Now, there's there's so much to come back to. I, I definitely want to come back to the, the responsible business values purpose. But before we do that, and you talked about moving towards implementation, let's let's start with that enormously hot topic of 
the shift towards hybrid working because um, we we'd moved from you know a year or two ago businesses thinking yes we'll try this as a newer way of working and now we're seeing actually organizations really embracing it saying this is the future we are going to do it and there's a steady flow of surveys telling us that there's a really strong correlation between employee satisfaction and the amount of flexibility their employer is able to offer them. But I wanted to ask you your views on what are the right ways about going about evolving organisational culture so you can really embrace hybrid working for a sustainable future? Mm. I think that's a fascinating question, Lucy, and, and culture is absolutely key to hybrid working but I wonder if we could take a step back first and think what is hybrid working what, what's the point of it and I think what I hear most from clients interestingly I think it's very much on CEOs minds I've, I've never really spoken about ways of working uh, to this level with CEOs as I have over the past uh, year or two uh, but really what what, what what are we trying to do here? Well, I hear a lot about flexibility, about talent attraction and retention. Uh, and I, I would argue those are important factors, but they're not the end goal. What we're trying to do here is redesign work to create sustainable high performance. And I'll give you my definition again. That's uh, environments when people can show up their best productive and hopefully happy selves over the long run. So uh, when we're thinking about what organisations are trying to do, they need to be designing that as the end goal and then having flexibility to enable that. So how do you enable your employees to have focus, to have energy, uh, to cooperate uh, with their colleagues and to coordinate with their colleagues? So the more creative design type of teamwork and then the more operational project management side of teamwork. And then what's the purpose of flexibility within that? It's to enable that sustainable part of high performance. But also when you give someone flexibility, what they experience it as is autonomy. So what people want right now is a greater sense of autonomy, because interestingly, whilst we've been stuck in our homes or, or working in very challenging conditions, if, our, if we're location fixed in terms of our work during the pandemic, in some ways, many of us have experienced greater autonomy. Now, why is that important to culture? Well, that isn't traditionally the way that we've worked in many sectors. And your sector, Lucy, is one which has been characterised by hugely ambitious, smart people who worked in relatively inflexible ways. And the employee was expected to do what the employer or uh, in case of partners, what uh, the organisation that they were a part of, uh, therefore needed, uh, expected them to do. And so we're seeing a real paradigm shift in terms of what kind of culture do we need, the mindset, how people show up, and how's that going to enable sustainable high performance? And when you think about that, Lisi, a really crucial element of that is your managers. So in your sector, your partners, senior associates, uh, in other sectors, that middle management group, because, of course, the way that people will experience that flexibility and therefore autonomy it is through their touch point, which is their manager. And if you talk to Linda, she would say that the role of managers is broken. Uh, and that we need to redesign the role of managers. We need to redefine what success looks like as a manager in order to make this happen. And if we take that idea of autonomy and we move it into some of what you were talking about when you gave your introduction, which was really um, fascinating, you know, rethinking what work means, why are we working? You know, again, we're seeing quite a lot of talk around the idea that people's expectations are changing 
possibly. That's part of what's driving the great resignation. But we're also seeing greater focus on things like employee well-being, on trust, on fairness, values and purpose, why we're all coming to work. Do you think that the the deal, if you like, between employers and employees is shifting, is changing? And if, if it's changing, how is it changing? Mm-hmm. Really interesting question. And I'd say uh, a short answer w- would be yes. Uh, we've seen a lot of trends discussed over the past three years, Lucy, and, and actually we, we haven't really noticed any new trends. Uh, Linda's Future of Work research team sits here with us at HSM Advisory, uh, and we've been tracking trends for coming on 15 years now uh, as a group. And these new trends that people are talking about, we just see them as an acceleration of trends. But I'd say one of the trends that's been most significantly accelerated is this one around changing expectations of employees. Uh, And I I have to say, when I think about when I entered the workforce in my early 20s, what I expected of my employer is different to what I expect now. Of course, I was a junior employee in a large organisation. That's not my situation now, but we are seeing vastly different expectations from employees. Uh, And actually that is shifting the the power balance between employer and employee. And I think this was overdue. It's really interesting. I was in uh, a conversation with the ex-co of one of our clients recently who said, do we need to go with the Um, with the wishes of our people or with the wishes of our our business. Uh, And my view is that it's quite tricky to disentangle the wishes of your people. And for the majority of businesses, your people are the biggest asset, also the biggest expense to the business. That's true for for, for many businesses uh, globally. Uh, And really uh, hearing people, involving them in the decisions around the future of the business, uh, and then moving in a co-creational hand-in-hand way, to my view, is is a a very good way of running a business and and one that I think many organisations are starting to tap into at the moment. And I I mean, I agree completely. I think it's really interesting in terms of how you go about doing it, how you harness some of that, that change in expectations. You know, we talk a bit about employee activism. How in practice do you go about harnessing that so you do move forward in a more collaborative, innovative way to drive success, to to drive sustainable high performance, as you say? Yeah, yeah, really interesting to mention employee activism. And uh, we are moving, we've been doing this for a while, Lucy, but we are moving into this era where through technology, the role of individual in many different societies, not all, but many different societies around the world, where people have more of a voice. And actually, organisations are expected to have a voice on many topics that they didn't in the past, from inclusion, diversity, to sustainability, in some cases, to politics. Uh, And so, I think the employee voice, as I've said, is an important important check and balance for organisations. So I think be bold is what I'd say to leaders within organisations. Engage with employees. Uh, you will find that uh, when they come together as a collective, uh, actually the view is typically balanced. It's reasonable. They self-direct one another uh, and they'll be additive to the, the plans that you're making. And, and we actually do this quite a bit at HSM. We have a, a crowdsourcing platform that we call Collaboration Jams, where we bring together, uh, I mean, the largest population we've invited was just over 500,000 people from an organisation globally. But actually that piece of work I mentioned around Linklaters, uh, which is public knowledge, um, we did use that platform where you bring together every single employee or invite every single employee to come and talk together on this crowdsourcing platform, a bit like an internal LinkedIn or or Facebook, 
to talk about the future of the organization over 72 hours and to share ideas. And I think the, the outcome of this is either reassuring to an organization that they're moving in the right direction, maybe uncovers the things that you simply didn't know were happening. And of course, you want to know that you want to be part of those water cooler conversations. Don't be scared of uncovering some slightly uncomfortable truths or some really exciting opportunities. Uh, Because organizations spend a lot of time sourcing and hiring fantastic, exciting, interesting people. So don't then parent-child them. Have an adult-to-adult relationship. That's really them. fantastic advice and really, really interesting. I'm going to change tack slightly, but t- taking us a bit on a bit of a tangent, you talked about diversity and inclusion. And one of the key kind of mega trends that we've been watching on the Future of Work Hub long before the pandemic was uh, about changing demographics. You know, we know people are living longer. There's more generations in the workplace. You talked about diversity and inclusion that's the top of everybody's agenda and if it's not it absolutely should be but sometimes this issue of changing demographics that gets a little bit lost in the DNI agenda and I, I'm really interested in your thoughts both about how you you're seeing businesses dealing with this but also how you think businesses should be dealing with it it's such an interesting question. And, and we've been, we, we track uh, five megatrends, actually. So society, uh, demographic changes, globalization, digitalization, and sustainability. And so as you can imagine, we've been thinking about diversity and inclusion, Lucy, for, for about 15 years. We've recently completed uh, a study into that topic with about 30 global mu- multinationals, thinking about where we are now, because I've been very heartened by quite frankly, the investment that organisations are making into diversity and inclusion uh, since uh, the past uh, three years, uh, the social justice movement, uh, the resurgence of the social justice movement three years ago. Uh, And I think there are really a couple of topics here. I think we used to talk a lot about diversity, quite simply, how can we get uh, more diverse candidates into the workforce, which is hugely important. I'd actually like to uncouple diversity from inclusion. Inclusion, how is it that we then uh, help people feel like they're included in an organisation, like they can show up? And actually, I want to add uh, that third uh, thought around belonging into the mixer. So I think sometimes people arrive and then become homogenized by organizations to become the, you know, insert company name X way. And actually what we want to do is redesign organizations, not only with by our white cis straight male and, you know, originally organizations were primarily designed uh, by that profile, but also to ask our more diverse uh, people within businesses, uh, and that could be diversity of thought or a diversity metric, what do you want this business to look like? What's going to enable you to show up your best productive and happy self? And what's the shape of this space going to need to be to enable that? So for me, it's about back to the drawing board, redesigning what we're doing and and starting to think really carefully around how we're going to uh, how we're going to think about this. And I'll give an example. Uh, so many organizations that I work with that have a professional culture, it's really a white professional culture where um, uh, there's only one type of hair, long straight hair or pinned back and people aren't even able to show up with their natural hair or if they do, it might be looked at in in an unusual way. And I think we just need to reshape the shape of our spaces to enable people to feel like they have a sense of belonging so they can flourish as they are. And in terms of 
the changing demographics, the different ways of working. We talked a bit about the empowerment that comes from autonomy. You talked about that in your first answer. We're seeing an increase in, if you like, part-time retirement, people finding ways of continuing to work longer. Businesses feeling challenged by how that fits into, as you say, a kind of traditional model of the way that we've always done things. Do you think there are ways of really embracing that changing demographic, that giving that autonomy that you talked about at the outset? Such an interesting question. And I think we've, we speak so much around the multi-generational workforce. Um, and I think it's interesting, perhaps, just to think about different uh, modes of life. I'm not sure that we necessarily want to equate age and stage quite in the way that we have done before. Uh, but again, I think uh, happily, we've seen increasing focus on ageism in the workforce uh, over the past uh, really six months, actually. Uh, you know, you can't really open up HBR or the FT without seeing an article about it currently. And I think the way that organisations are structured currently is for populations from 20 plus years ago. And I'll share a couple of reasons why I think that's the case. We're moving away from the three stage life. By that, I mean uh, education up till 18 or perhaps 21 or 25, uh, then assuming that that knowledge body is going to last you for your whole working life, working in a sprint until you're in your 50s or maybe early 60s and then retiring. And we're seeing a breakdown of this for a number of reasons. Um, uh, Education uh, it, it, taken in your early 20s simply isn't going to last you even into your mid to late 20s if you're in a technical high speed change uh, environment. Uh, we're, we're seeing that actually we're going to be living enormously longer in my my boss's book than de Gratton's book, The Hundred Year Life. Uh, actually, there, the thought is that around 50% of children born in 2007 in the UK will live till they're over 100 or could live till they're over 100. So we need to fundamentally rethink our lives uh, and uh, and just start to think about, can we rethink time? Uh, maybe take some more education in our 30s, perhaps not always be doing the stepping stone to the next bigger thing. And certainly not focusing on retiring and then dropping off a cliff and living that life of leisure. I mean, I don't know about you, Lucy, but I'm actually not sure I'd enjoy that. I might want a slower pace of life, but I don't want, think I'd want to stop. So I, I think perhaps we need to retire the word retirement and start to think about it a bit differently. But, but I acknowledge that the way that we structure careers and jobs in organisations is so unable to take on that idea that at the moment, but that requires a fundamental rethink of what that looks like. And you talked about education. I thought that was really, really interesting. You know, our, our education reaches a sell-by date quite quickly and particularly with the pace of change. And we've been talking, you know, a fair bit about that as part of the Future of Work Hub. And it leads to a discussion about skills. And I'm really interested in your thoughts about skills, partly because one of the things you said earlier was we need this total reinvention of, of leadership. So coupled with this idea that our education kind of gets a shelf life quite quickly and we need a, a reinvention of what leadership or what management looks like. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about the kind of skills that we need in the workplace, both the skills that we need in our leaders and our managers, but also the skills that we need more generally in people coming into the workforce today? 
Yeah, that's a really fascinating question. And, and I think I'll probably start off with where we see the skills around leaders and, and managers. We've been running a study around the impact of virtual working and hybrid working on skills and capabilities. And, and this will, will come from that. So I hear a lot from organisations around the fundamental need to focus on uh, technical and data driven uh, skills. And I certainly wouldn't negate that. I, I think the 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 number and uh, array of skills around that area is quite frankly bewildering. It can be challenging keeping up with it, and it's definitely a need. But they do have that that shelf life, as you as you put it, Lucy. I think the area that I don't hear enough about is around those human skills. When I do hear the word human skills, I immediately sit hear people say the word empathy. And again, empathy is important, but I think the landscape's a little more nuanced than that. So our view is that to manage in this new world that we're working in, and, and it is quite different uh, from a working perspective, uh, we definitely need those uh, human skills, which would be uh, coaching and empathy and enabling. Uh, we need those performance-focused uh, skills, uh, which are things like creating an inspiring, compelling narrative around uh, uh, creating a fantastic people experience. But we also need those enabling hybrid skills or practical skills if you're not working in a hybrid way, uh, which might feel uh, a little bit uh, more tactical, but actually are fundamental to making this work around creating team agreements, around understanding how people focus and how they have energy and how cooperation and coordination happens in the organisation. Uh, and it was really interesting. We, we run uh, webinars on, on the future of work uh, monthly. It's an invitation uh, only webinar. But we run these webinars uh, and we did a survey of about 400 uh, senior leaders, both HR functional um, uh, on on that webinar. And they were 40 percent were focused on creating a positive people experience, I think, in response to the great transition or great resignation. Uh, and I think it was six percent were focused on those those more practical hybrid enabling skills. And when they discussed uh, human skills. They were really just talking about empathy. So I think an understanding of the level of nuance and complexity of those human skills, but also those human skills are fundamental to unlocking your practical skills. So it's no use having an amazing data set if you can't draw insight from it and then create a really interesting narrative uh, that enables people to move forward. So for, for my view, the, 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 the gap that we have at the moment is uh, the 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 human specific skills uh, and how it is that we can build those out. Thank you. And it is a really interesting insight, particularly because we've been sort of physically distant from each other for, you know, for a while through the pandemic and the importance of human skills in that context is really, really interesting. You mentioned HR and as we're coming to the end of our discussion I, I thought it'd be useful to pick up on that because lots of people that listen to this podcast are HR professionals or people leaders and one of the things that HR is grappling with is how do they need to evolve to le really lead this change I wonder if you could share your thoughts on what you think the future holds for HR and how the HR professionals need to evolve mm. Yeah, the role of HR is a really interesting one, isn't it? And I think it would be fair to say that uh, historically, in some companies and sectors, HR hasn't had quite so much of a place at the table uh, as, as perhaps some of their peers are on, on boards. And I, I think we've really seen a shift of that. Uh, and 
I've been really fascinated that in the, the, the meetings I've been at of Exco's or partnership meetings, often the first ones that have been face-to-face over the past six months, they've been really exciting and energizing and a number of our clients, but actually it's really been people issues that, that have been one of the top items of the agenda alongside things like sustainability. And my view is that HR needs themselves to bring in skill sets and capabilities, which perhaps some HR departments don't have at the moment, skill sets and capabilities around data. And I said that I did feel those are important around uh, analysis, but also around strategy and longer term thinking, because really now for organisations to be a step ahead, they need to be thinking in a highly strategic and intentional way around people. Uh, And this is very complex. Uh, And of course, you need the operational elements of HR that's fundamental to a business. We also need the people, organisation, values, uh, employer attractiveness elements to be coming in as well. So, So my view is to take a step back and for HR professionals to think, Do we have in our departments the skill sets and capabilities that we need to be the strategic partner to our CEO? And have we gone and thought about how we can enable them do the things that they're trying to achieve? So I think it's actually an exciting time for HR. I think this shift has been happening over a number of years, uh, but I think now really is HR's moment. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's a really positive way to look at it. My last question, it's something that I'm asking all our guests on this 2022 podcast series. And we know the world of work is going to look really different in 10 years time, almost certainly in ways that we can't predict. But if you had the power to ensure one change for the workplace of 2032, what would it be? One thing to change. That's a great question, Lucy. And actually, I've just taken a week off work and spent um, time with family and friends up in the highlands above Inverness, uh, where some of my family are from, uh, and took a lot of time to read. And what I've been trying to do is read around life philosophies and ethos that perhaps aren't quite as close as mine. So uh, looking across to philosophies around life, such as Ikigai or Zen from other parts of the world. Uh, and I think this also also builds on Linda's idea around the breakdown of the three stage life. But I think my reflection, Lucy, is that so many of us are working in a sprint towards retirement. Some of us are fortunate enough to be able to do that early. Others are not. But the majority of people I talk to right now talk about the pace or the monotony of their work. And they're really seeing this work as a stepping stone to the ideal state of retirement and leisure. And uh, Linda and I have spoken quite a bit over the past three years about the lack of moments of joy. Uh, and the, the, that's important joy, actually, for us to reimagine ourselves. So uh, my view is really try and rethink that mindset take a year out, go back and get more education, toggle up and down your career over your life, but don't always be trying every year to be doing something bigger or more. And I think my change I'd like to make is to take pleasure in the day-to-day of what we do and realise that we're not always working towards a destination. Our destination is the life we're leading right now. So to try and lean in and enjoy the today and now a bit more than perhaps we are sometimes. Now I definitely empathise with that. I think that's a really, really lovely way to finish. Thank you for those thoughts. And thank you for joining us. I'd said I got a lot of ground to cover and I think we really did. So thank you for being so accommodating and giving your thoughts on such a broad spectrum of things. 
If you're listening and you'd like to find out more about Harriet or about HSM Advisory, you can visit their website, www.hsm-advisory.com, or you can connect with Harriet on LinkedIn. Thank you again, Harriet. Thank you so much, Lucy. It's been really, really great chatting with you. Mm-hmm.